What's up, guys? Welcome to the Engage JSU podcast. We are an on-campus ministry here at Jacksonville State University. We want to see God's kingdom come here at JSU as it is in heaven. What's up, Engage? If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the book of John. We're continuing our series tonight through the Gospel of John, talking about Jesus is. First week we looked at Jesus is lifted up. Second week we looked at Jesus is the source of living water. And tonight I want us to look at Jesus is the bread of life. We're going to be looking at that from John chapter 6, verses 25 through 35. Before I begin, let's go to the Lord in prayer one more time. Dear Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for giving us a time where we can come before your word. And we can feast, really, on the words that you've given us. Because we know that, Father, you have the words of life. And only you have the words of life. Father, would you encourage those who are discouraged? Father, would you awaken those who are dead? Father, would you help me to speak your word and only your word? And would you work mightily through me and through your word for your glory? Ask and pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. So me and my wife, Bailey... We like to take vacations. We like to get out and we like to go somewhere, even if it's not expensive, even if it's not far away. We really like road trips. We like driving. We like getting away. And one time when Bailey and I were on a road trip, we were going on vacation. I was driving down the road and all of a sudden I heard a loud scraping noise. And so if you've ever been driving ever, and you hear a loud scraping noise, you realize that that's not something you really want to be hearing, right? So I pull over on the side of the road, and I check to see maybe we have a flat tire. That's kind of where my my mind went. But as it turns out, there's just a plastic piece under your car, under most cars, called a splash guard. And I think it helps with something, but I'm not sure what. I think it helps water not splash up, hence the name. But anyway, it had come loose and it was scraping against the ground. So it wasn't anything serious. I decided, you know, I'll kind of pull off the next exit and figure out what I'm going to do. So eventually I pulled to a truck stop and I pull into a parking space far enough away from the other car so I wouldn't bother anybody. And I'm kind of looking at this thing like, what am I going to do? How am I going to just take care of this so we can just get where we need to go. So I went into the truck stop, into the gas station, and lo and behold, I found 
the universal remedy for broken things, duct tape. And so I just duct taped it till I felt like it wasn't gonna fall off anymore. And that duct tape really held up, it worked. It got us all the way to where we needed to be, but really it was a temporary solution, right? I mean, some cars you see riding around and it seems like the duct tape's been on there for a while, but, but normally you don't want duct tape to be what's holding your car together. Eventually, I just had to remove that part of the splash guard. Uh, my car wasn't worth the repair that it would take. But that was the permanent solution for me. I had a temporary fix, and then I had a more permanent solution. And, and really, I think that that's similar to the idea that we see here in John 6. We see Jesus contrast a temporary solution with a permanent solution. We'll see in, in John chapter 6, verses 25 through 35, that Jesus shows us that physical bread satisfies. It provides life for the day. But Jesus, the bread of life, satisfies and, and gives us life for eternity. And so, if you're a note taker, I want us to see tonight the main point of our text. It's really simple. Since Jesus is the bread of life, we must believe in him. Since Jesus is the bread of life, we must believe in him. And there's really two reasons I see from the text that since Jesus is the bread of life, we, we must believe in him. The first is that Jesus provides nourishment that endures to eternal life. Jesus provides nourishment that endures to eternal life. And secondly, Jesus is approved and sent by God the Father. But let's, let's look at this first idea. Let's, let's look at this first reason. Jesus provides nourishment that endures to eternal life. We come to our text in John chapter 6. Jesus has just performed two miracles. First, he miraculously feeds 5,000 people with just five loaves of bread and two fish. And then after this, he walks on water. So in verses 22 through 24, we see the crowds looking for Jesus and they find him in Capernaum. So let's start there. In verse 25, when they find him in Capernaum. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. 
Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What, what work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So we see that this crowd of people, the same crowd that Jesus fed, they come looking for him, right? And, and they can't find him. Because they had been watching the disciples and they had been watching Jesus and they saw the disciples get on the boat. But they didn't see Jesus go with them. That's what happened before our text. And so they're a little bit confused. But the reason they're confused is because Jesus actually met the disciples in the boat by walking on water. And so they come to him and they ask, confused, where have you been? How long have you been here? But notice Jesus doesn't really address that, does he? He doesn't take that opportunity to tell them, well, you didn't notice where I was because I performed another miracle. He doesn't do that. Instead, Jesus gets straight to the heart of the matter. What did verse, verse 26 say? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. And so right off the bat, just like we saw with Nicodemus, just like we saw with the Samaritan woman, Jesus sees the heart intention, not just what they say and what's going on on the outside. When I read this, it made me think of what the Lord says in Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. He tells Samuel, For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Listen to what happens, listen to what happens in John chapter 2, verse 23. Now when he, that's Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people 
and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. And so we see this happening over and over in the interactions Jesus has in the book of John, right? The Samaritan woman, Nicodemus, they all come to him with these conversations and they're all beating around the bush. And Jesus says, I know what's in your heart. I, I know your life before you tell me. And so even before we move on to really the main point of this text here, I, I just want to say that nothing in your heart is hidden from God. When we see Jesus do things like this, we should put ourselves in the place of the crowds, in the place of Nicodemus, in the place of the Samaritan woman, and we should know that what he sees in them, he would also see in us. Nothing is hidden from God. No nothing is hidden from Jesus. And so if we're tempted at any time to think that, that we could do enough quiet times, we could share our faith enough, we could sing loud enough, we could obey enough commandments, we have to forget those thoughts. It's not possible. And, and it's not possible, not because God doesn't care about those things, but honestly, those things are not good enough for God. No, no matter how many outward works you do, God still sees the anger, the, the lust, the covetousness, the, the idolatry that, that really happens in our hearts on an everyday basis. God sees those things. And this is precisely why you can't earn your own salvation is because you need the righteousness of another. Jesus often begins his conversations this way because that is the number one block that most people have. Especially we see the people that approach Jesus in his day, they're, they're, they have a uh, outward appearance of righteousness. They, they want an outward appearance of righteousness. You'll notice most of the time, Jesus starts by telling them what's in their heart. So Jesus tells them that they seek after him not for a sign, but because he fed them. And so we have to remember that this conversation happens, right? Right after the feeding of the 5,000, right after that miracle where Jesus feeds 5,000 with loaves of bread and fish. And then what does Jesus say next? He, he instructs them not to work for food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man gives. But that's kind of a doozy. You come into the conversation and it feels like a lot's happening fast. What, what does Jesus mean? Why does he go straight there? Well, again, we see this pattern of Jesus' conversation with different people. And it seems like Jesus is always pointing us 
through a physical reality to a spiritual reality. Just like when Jesus told Nicodemus that he had to be born again, and just like he told the Samaritan woman that he would give her living water, here in, cha- in chapter 6, Jesus calls himself the bread of life. And we can't miss that this, again, is a spiritual reality that Jesus is pointing us to. And what he's saying is that just like I fed you the 5,000, I, I fed you loaves of bread, and I sustained your life for a day, what I'm trying to show you is that I am the bread of life and I could sustain you forever. Jesus is saying that just like you need bread every day for life temporarily, Jesus is saying you need him for eternal life. Jesus' miracle of feeding the 5,000 is to point us to Jesus as the bread of life. Being fed loaves of bread is, is great, but the point of the miracle is to draw us to Jesus and look to him for our every provision. And what he provides is exactly what he draws out from us. Notice first, he draws out from us that we cannot work on our own, of our own righteousness, right? He's always pointing out the ways that we don't measure up. Then he offers himself as the righteousness that we need. See, because what we need and what we cannot achieve is a righteousness that stands before God and forgiveness from God. And what Jesus provides as the bread of life is eternal life with God. This weekend, Bailey and I went to Gadsden, and we went to this place called The Alley. I don't know if any of y'all have been there yet. It's a pretty cool place. It's a bowling alley. They've got a lot of uh, arcade games and various other things. And uh, we did that for just a little date night, just to have fun. But in the arcade, there's this game, and it looks like one of those strength test that you see at the fair. And uh, I was really excited about this because I thought it was a chance to once again show my wife how strong I was. You know the game I'm talking about, it has the long tower and you swing a mallet and you, if you hit it hard enough, it, it dings, it rings the bell. Well, we came to a game that looked exactly like that. But actually, as it turns out, this game wasn't a strength test at all. It was actually a game that only rewarded you if you hit the lever with just enough force. So if you hit it too hard, you didn't get the points. If you hit it too soft, you didn't get the thousand points. But if you hit it just right, you got a thousand tokens, which are basically worthless. 
but still, you get them. But it was really easy to get this game confused with the strength game because it, it looked just like it, right? And if you don't slow down and realize what the goal of the game is, you, you really don't have hope for doing well in the game. And really in a similar way, if, if we don't see fellowship with God as the goal of Christ's work on earth, we miss the point. Jesus said, you didn't come to me for a sign. You, you didn't come to me for who I was. You, you came to me because you got your fill of the loaves. When, when we come to Jesus, we come to him for him. We, we, we come to him for life eternally with him. We, we don't come to him for the things he can provide. You know, the Lord often chooses to bless us in different ways, sometimes with material things and, and, and sometimes not. And the crowds here are looking to Jesus because he had bread. They, they want the physical, they want the material blessing from Jesus. And Jesus sees their heart and he notices that they don't want him. They don't want much else than their fill of the loaves. Jesus sees through this. He rebukes them. What do we learn from this? If we want to please God, if we want the true blessing that God has to offer, we, we don't look for the miraculous physical provision that Jesus might supply, but, but we look to Jesus himself. And I, I'm not saying that stuff is evil. I'm not saying you can't save up and, and buy a cool pair of shoes. I'm not saying that, but don't get it confused. Jesus did not come into this world to bless you with stuff. Jesus was not sent from heaven to make you healthy, wealthy, prosperous. And, and you have to be careful because not everyone who would agree with that statement practically lives it out. You, you need to be discerning. You, you need to be aware of those who would always, always, always emphasize how Christ can help you accomplish your goals. But they never seem to get to Christ. Friends, brothers, sisters, this is not the main thrust of Scripture. Christ died for the ungodly so that they would be brought to God. What people do when they, when they claim that you can have everything you want through Jesus is that they take promises that are meant for heaven. No more pain, no more sickness, no more lack, no more want, no more sadness. 
And they make it seem like if you have enough faith, you can have those things now. They can all come true right now. But the best, the best lies always contain a half-truth because we actually learn in Scripture, Jesus does promise all those things. He does promise a lack of want. He, he does promise no more sadness. He promises them, though, in the new heavens and the new earth, not all right now. But he also promised that we would have trouble in this world. And, and sometimes we go through things and we do actually see the Lord lift burdens for us. We see the Lord lift financial burdens. We, we see that when we work hard, sometimes it, it pays off. God has set this world up with order. Sometimes we receive his blessings. But come to Jesus for Jesus. We won't ever see the pains and trials of this world go away completely until Jesus comes back to make all things new. And you want to know the sweetest truth that, 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 that a text like tonight's text shows us? When he does, those things will pale in comparison to the glory and the majesty that will be found in the presence of God. Listen, Jesus comes into this world to bless you with himself because he and he alone can only satisfy you in a way that that stuff can never satisfy. Seek after him, beloved. But if we keep going, not only do I want us to see that we seek after Jesus for Jesus, but I also want us to see that we believe on Jesus as the bread of life because Jesus is approved and sent by God the Father. If we keep going in verse 27, Jesus says, do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. So not only is Jesus the bread of life and that he nourishes us, but also that he is approved by and sent by the Father. And so as we think about God and we think about the Old and New Testaments, even theologically, we have to understand that Jesus doesn't come as one opposed to or abolishing the Old Testament, but rather he comes as the fulfillment of it. God the Father has sent him into the world to fulfill all that was written by Moses, the prophets, all of the Old Testament. The, the Old Testament and the New Testament aren't at odds with one another, but they're telling one story. The, the persons of the Holy Trinity are not at odds with one another. They are accomplishing one goal. God the Father sent Jesus the Son, and everything that he said and did was according to the will of the Father. 
And so since Jesus says that he's been approved by the Father, and because Jesus instructs them not to do the work that leads to food that perishes, but to do the work for food that endures to eternal life, the natural question that comes up in their minds is, well, what are those works? Let's get on it. Verse 28, they say, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus' answer is simple. It's not even a work. He says, believe in the one God has sent. Faith in Jesus is what makes you right with God. And so again, like Nicodemus, like the Samaritan woman, the crowds don't seem to be getting it. They say, if you're really from God, and all we must do is believe in you, then prove you are from God. They ask, what work do you perform? They want proof. And to prove that their request is valid, they quote scripture to Jesus. They say, our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And so what are they talking about here? Well, they're actually talking about Moses. And if you're, if you're not familiar with the story, when Israel was freed from Egypt, they wandered in the desert for 40 years. And, and during that time, manna, bread from heaven, miraculously rained down to keep them alive in the wilderness. And so this is what the crowd is referring to. Moses, often referred to as the prophet of God, of Israel, Moses miraculously provided manna from heaven for the wandering Israelites. And so if Jesus is the fulfillment of this prophet, he needs an even greater sign. But wait a minute. Moses didn't rain down bread from heaven for the Israelites. God did. Exodus 16 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. God provided the manna. And this explains Jesus' response. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. But did you notice what Jesus did there? He says, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. See how it goes from past tense to present tense? If you're confused, as maybe the crowds were, Jesus clarifies, saying, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus is making it clear, he is the bread of heaven. And again, like Nicodemus, like the Samaritan woman, they're confused still. They say, sir, give us this bread always. They're they're still thinking it's physical bread. So Jesus makes it plain. 
I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus tells them he is the bread of life. Greater than the bread of the loaves, greater than the manna from heaven. He is the true bread of heaven. Jesus is the greater bread from heaven because he gives life everlasting. Jesus is greater than Moses, not because he can command bread to come from heaven when the crowds demand a sign, but because he is God, the Son, sent and approved by the Father. You know, if you've ever eaten with me, if you've ever gone out to eat with me, if you've ever been around me eating, if you've ever talked to my wife about her cooking habits for me, you would know I'm a little bit of a picky eater. My wife's helped me overcome some of this pickiness, especially in the vegetable variety, but I'm still a little bit picky. There's still some things I can't stomach. Mainly it's sauces and condiments, but I I really can't stand certain sauces. You're gonna gasp, but I can't stand ketchup. I can't stand ranch. I can't stand mustard, I can't stand mayonnaise. All of those things are disgusting to me. I know, outrage. I named somebody's sauce. Oh, I forgot one, I can't stand Chick-fil-A sauce, I'm sorry. But I will say this, I will say this, I do like buffalo sauce and I, I do like barbecue sauce. But anyway, that's really, that's really beside, wow. That's the most amens I've gotten ever. At Engage. That is an aside to the story. So anyway, I, a year and a half ago, I, I'm, I went on a missions trip. And so the whole three months leading up to the missions trip, everyone's telling me, you know, you, when you get over there, you got to eat whatever they put in front of you, John. So with this in mind, you know, two weeks leading up, three weeks leading up, I'm like, "Mm, you know what? I just need to start girding myself up to eat whatever's put in front of me. Because it's offensive to go all the way to someone's home, go all the way to someone's country, and kind of turn your nose up at what they consider their cultural excellency. It's offensive to reject what someone has strived to provide for you. That's one of the worst things that you can do. That's why they say that, right? And thankfully, I didn't have to eat anything that I didn't want to. Basically, I had rice and beans and vegetables and everything was fine. But, but it's still true, refusing to eat something that someone gives you is offensive because they've worked hard to provide it for you. 
And and I really think in a similar way, one of the things that it means for Jesus to be sent and approved of by the Father is that Jesus is God's provision for us. God the Father sent Jesus to die for us, his only son. Would you reject him? Would you turn your nose at him? This majestic act and display of God's love displayed in Christ? Jesus is sent by God, the Father. Do not reject him. Another thing I want us to think through as we apply that Jesus is sent from God the Father is that reading a text like this really should inspire us and motivate us and remind us that that we ought not to go on demanding more and more signs from God. This is exactly the point of the story of the rich man and Lazarus in the book of Luke. After dying, the the rich man asks Abraham to send someone back to his family and warn them of hell. And this is what Abraham says. If they did not believe in Moses, even if one would rise from the dead, they would not listen. All you have, all you need for faith in Christ is found in the revelation that God has given you. Having doubts, having questions, that's one thing, but don't go on demanding that that God would reveal something specially to you before you put your faith in Christ. Because here's the thing, God did give you a miraculous sign. Jesus Christ died on a cross, and on the third day, he rose from the dead. This is God's greatest sign to humanity, the death and resurrection of Jesus. Believe on him. Don't go on demanding signs like the crowds. Well, one more thing before we leave here, I want you to know that God's setting his seal of approval on Jesus means that if you're craving approval, crave God's approval. What God thinks of you is eternally more valuable than what anyone else thinks of you ever. And here's the key. Just like we spoke of earlier, the approval of God is found in Christ. The one he sent and approved of beckons you to come and be hidden in him.
so that when God would look upon you, he would see his son with whom he is well pleased. You can't win God's approval, but you can be hidden in Christ and God will smile on you. Ultimately, as we see in John 6, things perish, but you can receive something that never perishes, eternal life with Christ. If you're looking for a sign from God, receive this sign that he sent Jesus to this earth to die and he rose from the grave. Repent from your sin. Believe on the one who is sent and approved by God. Jesus is the bread of life. Whoever comes to him shall never hunger. And whoever believes in him shall never thirst. Come to Jesus. Believe in the one the Father sent. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you for sending your son. Thank you for giving us this sign that the Son of Man would be lifted up. He would die on a cross. He would be broken for our sins. He would be poured out as a drink offering for many. And that same Jesus, God of very God, rose from the grave. All things have been given into his hand. He is the majestic one you've set your seal of approval on. Father, would you give us hearts to magnify and glorify and seek after his name. We ask all of these things in his name. Amen.